I invite you to take your Bibles and open Scripture to the Gospel of John. This morning I'm going to be using uh, three different Scriptures from this Gospel. The first from chapter 1, John's Gospel, chapter 1. And I would like to begin the reading at verse 40, please. John 1, verse 40. Listen to what the Scripture says. It says, One of the two who heard John speak, and that would have been John the Baptist, and followed him, him being Jesus, was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He found first his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which translated means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. I'm going to date myself from the outset uh, this morning. I grew up with the dawning age of television. And as a child, remember watching uh, so many different programs that uh, portrayed a life for children that I knew nothing about. I recall watching shows like uh, The Partridge Family and The Brady Bunch and Father Knows Best. Uh, there were many others, but in these particular shows, you remember, uh, there were multiple children in the home. I guess the uh, television show that I identified with the most was the Andy Griffith show because there was only one child, Opie, right? Remember? Opie. I'm not sure I've ever known a child named Opie, but on behalf of all children in the world, thank you for not naming us Opie. But I used to watch uh, these television shows with multiple children and it fascinated me because I was an only child and I could only imagine what it was like to actually have a brother or a sister. Uh, you know, only children get blamed for a lot of things. And then at somewhere down the road, we, you know, seemingly become innocent and not perfect children, but glorified behavior-wise children, but it's all because we have these imaginary friends, right? I still have them. Uh, and we can blame things on them when we need to and shift the focus if our parents are angry with us about any particular thing. In the shows that I grew up watching, I, I reflect back on them as an adult and realize that there were very few times that the producers of these shows dealt with sensitive or maybe even real-life circumstances. Now, I'm not being critical, but what I'm saying is that most of the time those programs were produced for one reason. And what was that? To give us an escape and to make us laugh. I mean, they're, they're called situational comedies for a reason. The comedy portion of these shows was for us to just sort of live in their world for a little while. And if we had stuff going on that we didn't want to deal with right at that moment, we could, we could vent some of that and, and let some of that pressure go by laughing about whatever circumstances were presented 
in these programs. I give an example. Somewhere along the way, I began to realize that it's not all roses and perfect when you have multiple children in the home. And oftentimes what happens is that one sibling will seemingly overshadow the other. Have you ever experienced that? Sometimes it's the firstborn who overshadows the other. Sometimes it's the younger child who overshadows maybe an older sibling. As an educator, I, I used to just really uh, make sure that I would visit classrooms on the first day of the school to humor myself. That was the only reason I was in there, not to make sure the teacher was checking all the boxes off and doing all the right thing. It was because I wanted to stand back in the corner and just sort of listen as that teacher stumbled through connecting the names of the children, especially those that he or she was being introduced to for the first time. And as a child, I remember what that was like as a teacher would come in. Of course, I was going through school like most of us did with the same classmates. And somewhere along the way, you know, the teacher would stand up and call the name of one of the students who was in the class with me. And the teacher would look at that name and say, you know, uh, two or three years ago, I had another student by this same last name. And they would say, is so-and-so your sister? Yes. And then what would the teacher do? She would pause from calling roll and she would say, oh, let me tell you about his sister. Just sort of using her as an example of maybe what she was going to expect from everybody else in the class, right? And so she would say his sister, she was always the first to turn in her assignments. She turned them in in a timely manner. Isn't that what teachers always say? In a timely manner. She turned them in. It always represented her best effort. All of the things that teachers would say. And she would say, as a matter of fact, I don't recall that his sister ever made anything less than an A. She was a perfect child, always following directions where she was supposed to be at the right time and so forth and so on. And a sort, the teacher just sort of got lost in the moment and the rest of us were sitting there thinking, what? Boy, is she in store for a surprise. <laughs> because he ain't anything like his older sister. You had any experience like that? Maybe you've lived an experience like that, and you know what I'm talking about. This morning, we are looking at yet another of the 12 disciples, and in the spotlight is a man by the name of Andrew. Good name, Andrew. Andrew is always listed in the Scripture as a brother, a younger sibling to that of Simon Peter. John's gospel is a little different than the other three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are referred to as the synoptic gospel. Sin meaning same, optic meaning to see. Those three gospel writers sort of saw the life ministry of Jesus in the same perspective, and they, they covered a lot of the same topics and so forth. But John's gospel sort of is out there on its own. It, it's not radical, but it's different. And so as John begins to tell us about Jesus' introduction to these men who would later become his closest companions as he would teach them the things of heaven and the things of the kingdom that were necessary for them to know, John says, I want to tell you about two guys who first followed John the Baptist. And they were Andrew and Philip. 
And then he goes on to tell us about Andrew. Andrew was Simon Peter's brother. Did you read that in the scripture there as we were reading through it? Here's what's interesting about that. Simon Peter, his older brother, who we've already looked at, by the way, because he's considered to be the leader of the pack, the chief of the twelve, he is mentioned 64 times in the New Testament. Would you care to guess how many times Andrew is mentioned? 14. And almost without exception, every single time he's mentioned as Andrew, <clears throat> Simon Peter's brother. As if you, you might not know Andrew if we just left him by that name, but he is associated with a very popular guy, guy that many people would have known, and his name is none other than Simon Peter. But would you care to also know that Andrew comes to us as one of the most diligent and maybe we would even say recognizable men of the 12 disciples. To this day, Andrew is the patron saint in three countries. Listen closely. Russia, Greece, and Scotland. Russia... Greece, and Scotland. Now I need to stop here and tell you just a little bit of trivia. Tradition says that Andrew went to Scotland and shared the gospel and a church was born. While Andrew was there, the church wanted to name itself after Andrew. I mean, after all, he was the founding father of the congregation. Andrew would have nothing to do with it. Matter of fact, he would not allow them to name their church and include his name in it in any way. Andrew would later die. Years later, the congregation, such love and appreciation for Andrew, would come back to that, that issue, that topic, and rename its church as St. Andrew's. We're in Scotland, right? Are you following me? There's a territory around this location where the church is found. And uh, in our country, we divide up plots in, uh, what, parishes or counties. Well, as a matter of fact, in Scotland, they use the parish system. And the parish renamed itself because of the influence of the church as St. Andrew's, St. Andrew's Parish. And then when the God-given sport of golf was born, you following me? A golf course was built and as it became popular and people would come from all around to play this golf course, they decided we want to name our golf course after the parish which was named after the church which was named after the disciple and so now the golf course that is internationally renowned is none other than St. Andrews. I just gave all men the right and the privilege to participate in a godly sport of golf, right? And today is the U.S. Open, the last round being played, and some of you will go, others of you say, who is this fella up there talking? I have no interest in golf whatsoever. I've just told you it's a God's, it's God's sport, okay? So go home and watch the U.S. Open this afternoon if you are so inclined on Father's Day. But that's true. Andrew was such an influential kind of guy. He was recognized by the church, then ultimately by the parish, and ultimately by the golf course who wanted to name it after the name that was so prominent in that area. 
I want to show you three ways that Andrew is presented in the Gospel of John, and all of them are consistently the same perspective. Notice what it says about him first. It says in our scripture here that Andrew found his older brother Simon, and he had some news for him. Simon, we found the Messiah. Now, for those of you who don't understand the weight and the impact of that, let me just remind you that every Orthodox Jew prayed every day for the coming of Messiah. This would have been the Redeemer prophesied from the Old Testament, the one who would come to redeem Israel and to restore Israel in its rightful place in this world. They were tired of being enslaved to the to the Egyptians and the Babylonians and the Assyrians and now ultimately in the New Testament, the Romans. And so they wanted their freedom and they believed that their freedom would come through a spiritual leader, but he would have a civil impact. And so they began to look and pray, wondering would it be in our lifetime, would it be from our generation that God would bless the world by allowing the Redeemer to be born. And Andrew takes the message first to his home, to his own home, and says to his brother, we found him, and I want to introduce you to him. And then John says that as Andrew brought Simon to Jesus, Jesus says, you're known as Simon, I'm going to rename you Cephas. Now I'll just give you some insight here. You remember when we studied about uh, Simon Peter, I read from Luke 5, Simon's introduction is Jesus barred his boat and they had the miracle of the great catch of fish and so forth. I believe that Jesus renaming Simon probably took place after that. But here John is telling us it was Andrew who brought Simon to Jesus. And then Jesus ultimately gave, which was common, we'll find out as we study through some of the other names of the 12 disciples. I just want to tell you, I really appreciate Andrew's willingness to do this. And the way I see him pictured here in John chapter 1 is that he comes as our first home missionary. Now, I'm using the word home in a literal sense. He went back to his own home and got his brother and said, Simon, I've got news to share. That I, I, before I share it with anybody else, I want to share it with you. I don't think that he was looking for Simon's approval for Andrew to follow Jesus as he had followed John the Baptist. I think he was convinced in his heart that Jesus was in fact the Redeemer and said to him, Simon, I want you to come meet the guy that I know is the one sent from God. And his name is Jesus. Let me tell you something, folks. When you can go home, and with your family, you can, in confidence, pray. And you can share spiritual truth and spiritual insight. You can go anywhere. Now, some of you may be sick because I know how minds work. And if some of you were here on Mother's Day, some of you may be sitting here saying, he preached a totally different sermon on Mother's Day. He preached to mother. Why isn't he preaching to dad? I am preaching to dads right now. If you can with sincerity sit down with your family and share spiritual truth and pray with them, you can go anywhere. Why, why is this? Because our family knows us, right? 
they can call our bluff when they think that we're putting on, when we have a front. But when we walk the walk, just like we talk the talk, and if we walk what we talk and it measures up, then they, they, they listen to us and they're interested because they have confidence in us and they know that not only are we coming to help them, but they are also seeking God's guidance and God's involvement in their own life. This was Andrew. I believe Andrew could have gone to, to Simon and to anybody else. and share. As a matter of fact, he did. I want you to turn to John chapter 6. Look at the next time that he's presented in Scripture and look at what's happening here. Now, this is the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. And uh, we know that that miracle is the only miracle of Jesus. Listen to this now. It's the only miracle of Jesus recorded in all four Gospels. They were Baptists, right? They like to eat. And when they find a preacher that can multiply the bread and the fish and feed them, we kind of like this guy. Eventually they'd crucify him, but you know. Right now they're interested in being fed. And so Jesus is speaking to the crowd. He's speaking to the multitude. And you know the story, so I'm not going to take time to go into all detail. But look at verse 8. Look at what it says. This is where Andrew is mentioned. It says, one of his disciples, Andrew, there it is, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are these for so many people? And Jesus said, have the people sit down. In, in, in John's Gospel, chapter 1, we see Andrew as our first home missionary. Here I see him as a state missionary. As the crowd has gathered to hear Jesus speak, now I'm making this up, what I'm about to say. The next sentence is coming out of my mouth. It's made up. I can only imagine that John and James, because we've studied them and we know of their interests, right? We want to share in the glory of Jesus. They're up there on the right and the left of Jesus. They're looking at the crowd and they're trying to, you know, survey everybody and size everybody up. Where is Andrew? Out there among the people. Right? He's been shaking hands. He's been kissing on babies. Loving families, getting to know their names. And as Jesus, in the first part of the chapter, you'll see how Jesus begins to say to the disciples, oh, it's getting late, they're hungry, we need to feed them before we send them home. And Philip comes up and says, well, Lord, it'd take 200 denarii to feed everybody and give everybody just one bite. Jesus says to the disciples, you feed them. Andrew, I think, is sitting there listening to what Jesus is saying and he's going back through his mind of everybody that he's met out there and he said, you know, I, I saw one lad with a sack lunch, one young man. And so he goes to get him and brings him up and says, Jesus, I'm not sure what this means because he's, he has such little and everybody else, I mean, there's so many people. I found this. But apart from him, I don't know that there's any other food on the premises. And that was enough for Jesus, right? And he said, have them sit down. And it's a beautiful story of how Jesus takes the fish and the bread and blesses it and breaks it and then shares it with the crowd. And then what? Pick up the leftovers. <laughs> you got to be kidding me. These are Baptists. There is no leftovers. Oh, yes, there is. And everyone goes back and they've got a basket, 12 baskets, one for each disciple to take home with them. Amazing. 
Because of Andrew, we have this wonderful story in the Bible of how God comes and takes a little tiny amount of whatever it is that we have to offer Him and then He blesses it and exponentially multiplies it many times over. So much so that everybody is amazed and the miracle is recorded in all four Gospels. So many times we have the idea, I have this little bit that I can give God. This, this, this small amount of tithe that I want to give. This amount of offering to the Lord. Or, the, or I don't have all the gifts and I don't have all the talents that everybody has. But you can do one thing. And the one thing you do well, and the one thing you do well, you give to the Lord, and you watch Him bless it and multiply it and bless so many people for it. You know, I wonder how many people came to Jesus and thanked Him for that, and I wonder how many people knew that it was because of Andrew that he found the lad with the sack lunch. And maybe what you see here is a faith in Andrew who has faith in Jesus and says, Jesus, I'm not sure about this, but... I found the lad with the five barley loaves and two fish. And, and Jesus blesses so many people with it. So he comes as a state missionary. Let me show you the last place. Flip over to John's Gospel, chapter 12. He's not just a home missionary. He's not just a state missionary. We see him as a foreign missionary, an international missionary. Look at what it says in verse 20. Now there were some Greeks among those who were going up to worship at the feast. I told you that Andrew is the patron saint of three countries. Russia, Scotland, and Greece, right? Here we see that Greeks come to the feast. This would have been the Passover feast. These then came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and began to ask him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Now, the reason they came to Philip was because Philip had a Greek name. But look at what it says in verse 22. Philip came and told Andrew. And Andrew and Philip came and told Jesus. You remember all the times that the children came because they were just captivated by Jesus. They wanted to be around Him. They wanted to be associated with Him. And, and the disciples said, oh no, we, we can't let the little children come because bother the Master. The Master has so many other boys. What did Jesus say? Let the children come to me. Such belongs the kingdom. That's why we dedicate children the way we dedicate children to the Lord because we know that the Lord loves children. And He he calls us and challenges us to raise them in a way of an understanding so that they also grow up knowing that He loves them and wants a relationship with Him. Well, in the same way that the disciples kind of tried to protect Jesus from the children, I think there was a hesitancy on the part of Philip just to let these international visitors just barge right in and say, hey, I want to introduce you to Jesus. But it came to Philip because Philip had a Greek name. Philip of Macedon, who was king of Greece, by the way. Philip was in a dilemma. What was he going to do? Turn him away? Or find a way to get them to Jesus? Or maybe not sure about it? And I think in Philip's mind, he had this idea, if anybody knows the heart of Jesus, it's Andrew. And he goes to Andrew and says, Andrew, what do you think? Will Jesus be interested in meeting these folks who've made all the way to come to the Passover feast? And Andrew says, let's go. 
And Andrew comes with Philip to tell Jesus, Jesus, there are some folks here who've come a long distance and they would like to meet you. Wow. Isn't that amazing? In every place here that we've looked where you see Andrew, Andrew's always pointing, always pointing, always pointing, motioning and moving people in the direction of Jesus. Dads, could I ask you to do this, please? Could you pray to have the humility like Andrew? Now, and I want to tell you something. Humility is not an easy thing. You know, humility is that virtue that when you admit you have it, you've lost it, right? If I asked here this morning, how many of us have humility? And you raise your hand, you're not humble. <laughs> I have humility. No, you don't. And, and the idea is we believe humility is like walking around with just a broken spirit. No, 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 no. Humility is meekness. Meekness is harnessed strength. Humility is an understanding of who you are in light of who God is. Humility is not wanting the, the, the accolade and the applause and the recognition. Humility is saying, oh, no, 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 let me tell you, if anything has been accomplished here, it's because of Jesus, it's because of the Lord. Dads, I'm asking you to have the humility of Andrew. Because if you can have the humility of Andrew, what you're doing is you're always pushing and moving people in the direction away from yourself. And it's away from yourself and it's toward the cross. It's toward Jesus. And that's what you see Andrew doing here. Is he's, he's saying to his brother, I want you to know Jesus. He's saying to the, to the, to the people, if, if, if Jesus is going to help us here, he can do it through this lad that I met. And he gives the lad to Jesus who gives him his lunch. And God does something with it. And the Greeks, same thing. Who came to see Jesus. And Andrew took them to Jesus. Pray for humility. I pray that you have the initiative of Andrew. The initiative. And the initiative here is that after he met Jesus, he could have gone on just following Jesus and never mentioned it to his brother Simon. I just wonder how many times that Andrew had said something to Simon and as an older brother, Simon made fun of him or Simon ridiculed him or Simon put him down and said, oh, you know, nobody's interested in that. Andrew, don't be silly. Don't, be, don't go. It didn't matter. Because of his humility and because of his conviction about who Jesus was, he took the initiative to say, I believe my brother needs this. And he went and told him about Jesus. Why? Because it was a, a significant thing to him. Now dads, I want you to listen very carefully at what I'm about to tell you. Like you, I want my children, I want my grandson to be successful. I want them to be recognized. I want them to be appreciated. I want them to be applauded. I want all of that for my children, for my grandson. But there is absolutely nothing in this world that any of us could ever hope for them to achieve that is greater than for them to come to know Jesus Christ. This is not a popular thing. Some of you will walk away and say, that's the only thing our children involved in so many things. A negative statement. So many parents, I know that there's not a lot that we can do about that for real, other than pray that at some
my children need what the church has to offer. And it's not the church, it's the Lord. It's us pushing them toward Jesus, sharing the scripture in this world and in this universe, but even in our own, your life story. And don't be afraid to tell them how much you love Jesus. So pray for humility, pray for initiative, and pray for that same love and question that Andrew had for the Lord. I want to ask you a question. You think Andrew's accomplishments have ever been recognized justly? I don't know. And in this world, it really doesn't matter. But I can tell you one thing. From God's perspective on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, as Simon Peter would stand and preach a message that would grip the hearts of men and women who were there, who heard what he said, and he pointed them to Jesus and said, He is the one that was promised from the Old Testament. He is Jesus. He is our Savior. He is our Lord. And He is our Redeemer. And 3,000 people came to know Christ. There are so many people who would say, Oh, Simon. Thank you. Job well done. But in heaven's perspective, the Lord is looking down saying, Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Andrew, for telling your brother about Jesus because look how God is using him now. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm sorry. I get emotional in thinking about this of those children who are on this platform. What if? What if one of them? grows up to find the cure for cancer? What if one of them becomes the next Billy Graham? What if one of them grows up and is used of God on a platform and in a level that none of us will ever experience? It just may be true that because of the testimony that they share, heaven knows and the Lord knows is because so many of you poured your lives into them and shared Jesus. Andrew, if you're here today, we need you. Because there's a world out there who needs Jesus. Would you stand with me this morning? Father, we commit this service to you and believe that through something that has been said or done here today that you have spoken to lives. Should it be children, adults, anyone in between who would just say, today I need to make public my commitment to Jesus Christ. Would you give them the freedom and the courage to do that? Let them come during this invitation that we offer on your behalf. And just say, yes, I sense the Holy Spirit tugging at my heart for me to make this decision. Let them come. And let us rejoice with them. Father, if there are Christians here looking for a church home, because your spirit would lead them and because we receive members in many ways, let them come to 
join the members of North Winona Baptist Church and say, I give myself for kingdom's causes. We give ourselves to you today, Father, praying and believing that you will bless every dad who is here and empower dads to be who you need us to be in this world and for our families. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake.